Hi, I'm Kat Farrance, and I'm founder of Movement for Modern Life. Welcome to Yoga Off the Mat. This is the Movement for Modern Life podcast. And in this podcast, I invite you to join me on a journey to meet the champions of change. These are the most inspiring people I've ever met, and they're living a happy, healthy, sustainable life. Hello, everyone. It's Kat here. I hope you're doing very, very well, or as well as you can be in these really continued strange and uncertain times. And excuse the snufflings, it is just my dog. Now, today I've got another really beautiful conversation to share with you. It's one with our own Raki Jasani and Mimi Kuodima. And it was on the Movers Group um, in relation to our Ancient Wisdom for Modern Life course. And in that conversation, Raki and Mimi share their thoughts about yoga and Buddhism and some of the lessons that Buddhism can help to teach us to keep us to keep us happy and healthy and on track mentally because right now especially um, a lot of us are really really struggling. There are lots of real world problems going on right now. So um, hopefully this conversation will help you out. A little bit of a forward um, look to the conversation. Well, they talk about the Buddhist concept of mudita. Mudita, and that is sympathetic joy. And it's interesting because in this culture of competitiveness, of drive, 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 of doing things for ourselves, individuality, which doesn't necessarily make us happier. Well, that Buddhist concept of mudita is sympathetic joy. And in this conversation, Mimi describes how that concept might really help us to get through some of these trickier times. Um, so I really hope that you enjoy it and you find it useful. As I say, it was a conversation which was on the movers group. So there'll be some questions, but I think that they're all pretty um, insightful. All right. Enjoy. You know, welcome, everyone. It's really nice to have you all here and, and um and to actually delve into something that I found really um, interesting. And I, I, I think I'm going to just start out by asking you a really simple question. So I know people have been um, working through uh, some of your your classes, but, but really maybe we could talk a little bit um, about what the Brahma, Brahma Viharas are. Because I know that when I first came across these practices and I didn't I didn't even know that uh, what I first came across was um metta practice which is a loving kindness practice and I didn't know it was part of a, a kind of a, a bigger whole and and in fact I think the way that I first encountered metta I loved that idea but I I, I found it a little bit I don't know if intangible is the right word but it was it was tricky to really fully understand and grasp so I, I wondered if um because you have such a wonderful way of really explaining these things that make sense um if if you just wanted to tell us a little bit more about about 
these practices and, and what on earth this is and we've suddenly come across a name and a term that people may be less familiar with so yeah you know in English they're known as the divine abodes or boundless states or sublime attitudes or four immeasurables and all of those sound a little overwhelming <laughs> you know um, they sound kind of grand and, like you said, a little intangible. And you know, how do we, as a normal, average person getting through our life, touch into something that is boundless and infinite or sublime and immeasurable and, um, uh, you know, basically what the Buddha described is how we awaken our hearts. Um, so... I understand where you're coming from, you know, that it's it's touching into uh, something quite um, ideal, ideal or or some or something that we think maybe oh, we don't have it in us. <laughs> We're just this average, normal human being. And yet, you know, this is the beauty of the practice, which is that what the practices speak to is the possibility within each one of us to cultivate a state that is really spacious and luminous and kind and compassionate and loving and caring and uh, steady and full of joy for other people. Um, and, you know, these are things that I think are just lifelines at, at times, especially right now when there's a lot of, uncertainty, a lot of polarization, a lot of difficulty, uh, you know, pers on a personal level, on a, a planetary level, on societal level, for sure, political level. Um, you know, for those who are a little geeky and interested, I don't know if, 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 if just a, a straight up definition might be helpful, but um, the, the Brahma Vihara um, they they meet Brahma means kind of uh, the gods or the 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 um, attitudes of of gods who are infinite and boundless and then um, you know abiding in the place of Brahma you know, Vihara is to abide so you know really living in uh, an awakened and enlightened state um, where there is this. Uh, potential for these attitudes to be effortless and natural and spontaneous and um, joyous to share. And and in fact, I, you talked about abiding and abodes. And, and really, I think one thing I really love about these qualities, but, but also about some of the, the practices associated with them is that sense of the place we experience these things is in our bodies and so it's it's where we abide as, as well so it's not it's not something kind of out there but it's something that that we can experience and and share so that sense of abiding i think um and i think it's when i clipped that oh it's it, it's a lived experience these are a lived qualities that a little light bulb went went off in my head um and and in fact we've got the the the, the four different qualities and I, and I just wondered Mimi if you wanted to go through each of them slightly because 
again meta which is one word we we use is is often translated as loving kindness so which says to me there isn't a single word in english that 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 encapsulates what what that means but likewise i think with with compassion sympathetic joy equanimity these are all words that obviously we we understand and hear but 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 maybe that concept is is a little bit different to to perhaps the, the one we're more used to so yeah. did you um did you want to explain oh we've just got Heidi saying just joined a bit late today but just moved into my new home well well congratulations Heidi and you know wishing wishing you lots of love in in your new home um and Kat saying she's like we've 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 just got going guys <laughs> chatting generally so you haven't haven't missed um much and 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 you're here for um for, for for Mimi's um definition of of these four um four four qualities sort of heart heart awakening qualities heart awakening places you can abide yeah. infinitely and boundlessly um so yeah they are uh meta which you've mentioned meta means many things it, it's love you know, the, the, the easiest way to understand it is love. Um, it does have nuances, though. It's it's because love we think of sometimes and it's kind of like, you know, well, what does that mean? So they, they pair it or, or refine it a little bit by saying, well, it's it's actually goodwill. You know, it's wishing yourself and others to be cared for, to be safe, to be happy, to be um you know, loved. Uh, it's a loving, loving kindness is a very popular translation. I'm getting better with that translation, but I, I remember when I first uh, came across some of these teachings, it was actually from my sister-in-law and she gave me a book by Sharon Salzberg when I was still in college. And the, the title was Loving Kindness. And I was a grumpy, slightly skeptical college know-it-all <laughs> and I was like oh that's so saccharine that's so you know new agey and I never read it oh. I wish I had. yeah have you and, read it now yeah it's I, great it's amazing but I was put off by the title and then you know I've also thought about it over the years and if I said to my father who was you know scientist engineer and and not very tolerant of kind of new age concepts if dad you know should practice some loving kindness. He would be like, <laughs> but if I said, dad, you know, what if you could practice some care? He was like, oh yeah, you know, I could, I could do that. You know, care for others, care for oneself. So metta, this quality of uh, wishing upon others that they be happy, healthy, safe, protected, at ease and and experiencing peace, and 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 so metta, the um, the near enemy to it though, and this is an interesting thing because we can often misconstrue some of these concepts, especially when they go through the lens of different cultures and times. Um, but the near enemy is attachment. Right? We might feel like love um, becomes controlling or love is it brings up fear 
or clinging, uh, wanting the other person to love us back, expectation. Um, and so we can uh, kind of be aware of this as we're working with metta, um, that it, it's, it's to foster a very spacious, open attention and, and genuine, sincere care for others without clinging, without attaching uh, in that sense of desiring and clinging. Um, because that can, you know, erode the, the little beauty of, of, of a pure sense of love when we start to think, oh, but did I say something that, you know, that person's going to misconstrue because I'm not really actually sure if they approve of what I am doing or saying. And then we spin out stories and we lose contact with the spacious abiding. Um, and then the, the next, and Metta is actually the, the, the primary and foundational quality to cultivate. And, and cultivate is really important. And in, in the Buddhist tradition, uh, these practices have been seen as meditative practices, and um, they're referred to as as cultivation practices, like um, uh, bhav, uh, metta bhavana, right? So bhavana means to cultivate in Sanskrit or Pali, um, karuna bhavana, mudita bhavana, upeka bhavana. So it's something that we cultivate because they're not innate to us necessarily. So the next one, um, karuna, we cultivate compassion. And um, <clears throat> compassion is <laughs> seeing what is going on in the world and, 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 and not uh, judging it, um, not turning a blind eye to it, but seeing it and, and feeling it and actually opening ourselves courageously so, you know, to feel the pain in the world, which is really hard to do because very often if we're suffering, if we're having a hard time, our, 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 our view becomes kind of myopic. You know, my, my issues, my problems, my concerns, my dramas, uh, and it can challenge us to move out of the sense of what's happening to me and think about other people. At the same time, it can get overwhelming. You know, if we spend all of our time thinking about the refugee crisis, the uh, victims of sexual assault and racism and poverty and disease and homelessness, and um, it, it, it could really overwhelm us. And, um, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because we, we talk about compassion fatigue. We don't talk about love fatigue. We you know, <laughs> can't get enough of love, but compassion, see... It, it's almost as if we have kind of encoded into our language a sense that there isn't enough compassion to go around that we can somehow it can it can tire us or fatigue us or well, it only does that I think if we see it as the near enemy which is pity you know and, and pity separates pity pity says I feel sorry for that person. And then it weighs me down. But compassion is very different. It's not being pulled down and depressed by the problems in the world. It's very much about recognizing that the problems that someone else is experiencing are also the problems that I have. 
It's about connection and it's about opening, opening oneself to the basic humanity and the difficulty of being like just a complicated, you know, bumbling human being walking, walking through the world, stumbling our way through, sometimes elated, sometimes just making mistakes and, 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 and then not, not uh, uh, thinking that it's just our own, our own pain. Um, to, you know, to, to really open ourselves to the difficulties that other people are going through and to see them as our own, you know, is compassion. It's standing in solidarity, as Martin likes to say, you know, standing in solidarity with those who are having difficulty. And, and what that can do is uh, reach cro- across the aisle to people who we may not think we have much in, co- in common with even and, uh, and, and say, you know, you're having a hard time. You know, I understand because I'm also having a hard time. Marriage is the perfect <laughs> to do this. <laughs> and I was going to say, we can, even if someone is acting in a way that we find difficult or challenging or, or, or offensive, I think we can understand that quality of, of being human and, and having a hard time. So even if they are, you can still feel compassionate. You don't have to approve, do you? And and I think that's where sometimes people can feel challenged by this. They sort of think, oh, well, if I, if I send you love, that, that means I approve of what you're doing where, when I really don't. But, but you, you can understand that that person is also human and, Exactly. Without having just, to just like us. <laughs> exactly. And and it, it puts it often can be a very liberating quality because whatever problems that we're going through, we know that there are other problems that are most likely far more difficult, you know. And and so it can reduce the the um, the closing in to small self and it can reduce the uh, woe is me and everything is co- collapsing and crumbling around me it's like oh no I'm having a hard time maybe I, I don't feel well today then it clouds my decision making I feel kind of grumpy and if I if I just extend compassion first to myself say I am not feeling well and then I also think about other people who might have been in a fire and have their house destroyed, might have been the victim of police brutality, might have had, you know, horrors inflicted upon them. I, I just, I've, I feel my heart kind of open a little and feel tenderness for, you know, someone else's experience, which is probably more difficult than mine. And, and, and it connects me to something greater than myself. And, and in that way, it's very spacious. Right? And, and the boundless awakened heart, this bodhicitta, it means awakened heart, the boundless state of abiding where we're more free. Now that's the orientation of the uh, teachings. Um, and then mudita is the third one. And uh, mudita is, is one that I think is really helpful. On a basic practical level, it can shift so much quickly because when we do get caught up in whatever drama of my problems or it's very quick to start comparing oneself to other people and 
judging or uh, having a, a low opinion of someone who's who's um, having a good time and we're not. <laughs> um, and uh, mudita is sympathetic joy. And when people hear that, it's like, what does that mean? Well, it means that when someone else is having a good time, you're delighted for them. You're happy for them. And this can apply to so many situations. If, if you know, something is going wrong in, in my circumstance, I might think, well, in someone else's life, somewhere in the universe, that is not happening to them. And I'm happy for them. Uh, you know, classic example is like, when you're trying in London, when I used to live in London, you're trying to get to a tube, uh, a, you know, a tube that's like, you, you, you see it at the station, you know, you're running down the steps, you're on, you're, you're in a hurry. And then right as you get to the bottom step, you hear that like the door closes. <laughs> and so very often the first response is to cuss under your breath or just a little huff or something that's expressing irritation. But if I can get faster than my conditioning, my conditioned response, and if I say mudita, <laughs> right, then I'll be, I'll think, wonderful. All those people are on their way. Wonderful. Sympathetic joy. They're on their way. You know, when I used to teach in Soho, there was a, on Tuesday nights in the summer, there's an open window where the smell of smoke and drinking and laughter and people socializing would come up. And, you know, we're in there trying to be all whatever is yoga. And uh, someone started complaining, like, oh, can we close the window? And then another person said, no, it'll get too stuffy. And I said, okay, right. I know what we're going to do. We're going to practice mudita. Now let's all think how amazing that they are all downstairs having such a nice time on a Tuesday night. Yeah, it shifts everything. And and I think this is a, a difficult one sometimes, isn't it? When um, And I think we've all been in... in the situation where you hear someone's news and you sort of think, well, it's great that they've got that. But, uh, and, and again, um, we're, we're, we're looking at near enemies there, aren't we? That near enemies comparison. We're seeing if, if others have something more than we do or, or seeing that we, you know, it, we have less than they do. Um, it takes a lot to let go of comparison and envy and jealousy competitiveness. I mean, capitalism is basically, it's fomenting competition and comparison and envy and jealousy. And that's the the oil that keeps it running, the, the gas that feeds and fuels the, 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 the development of Western capitalist society. Right? So it's like, how do we let the seeds of envy lie dormant? Yeah, how do we start to focus on growing the flowers of generosity and that's what it is in a way. Sympathetic joy is a generosity of heart. You know, you, you um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's challenging because life happens and our heart contracts and it closes and we feel we don't have anything left to give. Right. But this is why it's a cultivation. Uh, it's a steady, gradual uh, warming and giving of space to ourselves and our heart and its capacity to uh, to to hold joy for others in, in a generous way. You know, you know, I, I feel very comfortable talking about this, but you know, as you know, my husband and I don't have kids, 
we have had three miscarriages and it was very hard when all my friends were having kids and there was one point in Beijing when I was teaching and I started teaching, you know, I was teaching pregnancy yoga and then mommy and baby yoga. And, you know, I just, I wasn't having a kid of my own. And eventually it was like, you know, I'm not going to torture myself. I'm just not going to teach that anymore. But when my friends got pregnant, you know, some of them, I could tell they were a little concerned about talking about it with me. Uh, they might, you know, feel like I was being uh, extra sensitive or they didn't want to hurt my feelings. But then I was, you know, I was like, Mudita, Mudita, you know, actually I'm okay. I'm so happy for you. I really genuinely am happy for my friends back then. Now I'm really glad I don't have kids. It's fine. <laughs> but like back then it was like, it was, a, but it was a practice for me. It was like, you know, okay, feel it, feel the, comparison, feel the disappointment, feel the inadequacy, the shame, all of that. And then it has nothing to do with them though. Like what they're experiencing is joy. They're pregnant. They're having a kid. So, you know, generosity, I'm really genuinely happy for them. Yeah. And it, it freed me up so much. And it, it, I think it um, was very good for my friendships as well. <laughs> Yeah. You're growing the flowers of generosity and joy. I, I like to think of that rather than kind of, you know, growing the, the kind of strangle weeds of envy and comparison and jealousy. Hmm. Fourth one, <laughs> equanimity. Hmm. This one is the toughest one, I think, for a lot of people. Um, because, and I, I've, I've been asked this question when I have taught about equanimity and Upeka. Um, you say, well, you know, it's so important right now to, in the world, to take action, to do things, to, uh, you know, and we have this sense of equanimity as just detachment and um, the, you know, the near enemy of, of uh, equanimity is indifference. And it's often conflated unfortunately, with, oh, I'm very equanimous, which means I'm un unflappable and I'm disengaging from everything and non-action. Uh, but the teachings of the Buddha on equanimity are far from that. You know, the, the leaning and the orientation of these practices is awakening the heart. And when we awaken our heart through equanimity, what we're saying is that we're cultivating an unshakable steadiness and an inner compassing and a sense of balance that's rooted deeply in love, compassion, mudita, sympathetic joy. And, and this helps develop insight from the steadiness. And that, that steadiness also helps us stay more calm, uh, clear, and responsive to everything in life that's unfolding. And with equanimity, what we're, we're looking at is cultivating a, a, a responsiveness and a steadiness to allow for the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows in life to be okay, like to, to meet all life. You know, 10,000 joys, 10,000 sorrows, that's a, a, 
a, a Taoist phrase. You know, it's it's just all things. We make room for joy and pain and sorrow and anger and beauty and happiness and celebration, um, shame, pain, uh, success, failure. We make kind of a I don't know, just a, a platform form for the heart to meet all of that and then respond in a way that is appropriate and not just detached. You know, it lets us really trust what whatever grim corners we turn, we can trust that our heart will be ready for it and we can respond in a way that's appropriate. And that enables us to, I guess, not be constantly being pulled into aversion or, or clinging either mm. that, that, that cultivating equanimity and and I think it kind of reminds me of the um the serenity prayer you, you know the one that's um that I, I let me change what I can and yeah you know leave alone what I this is terrible range making a pig's ear of it um you know being able to as you said, accept the ten thousand sorrows is um, is is tough. So we have a question. Um, just um, and and I was just waiting to you talked about those four qualities. And in fact, it is um, it is whether you have any books to recommend. Um, I think the questions from Susanna says heart awakening qualities. It's new for me. Have you any books you would? you would recommend oh well Sharon Salzberg book uh her book yeah. loving kindness is a really good place to start yeah I'll just type in Sharon Salzberg whilst we're yeah. doing that so yeah yeah that is and it's a really approachable book and I, I think uh, when I read that it, it made me understand what loving kindness because I was just like having um, I don't know, real challenges around how, but also about how to practice this. So, uh, you know, like, oh. and, you know, I, that's a, that's, that's well, I was just gonna, an important point is, um, you know, how do we do this? How do we cultivate this? Um, because the 10,000 sorrows and 10,000 joys is quite big as a number. We start with the easy things. And um, with cultivation practices, they're, 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 they're very guided. And they start with, um, classically, they start with the self. But in the West, that can trigger all kinds of difficulty to, to wish yourself equanimity or wish yourself joy or wish yourself care, wish yourself compassion. Um, Interestingly, a, a student um, who was actually doing a course with my husband, she's Iranian. And when he was discussing how difficult it is to love yourself, she's like, what do you mean? It, of course you love yourself. I mean, this, this starts from the self. And, and she found that just hard to get her head around. And I think in um, her upbringing, you know, it, it, the foundation was very much yourself and Maybe in, in the Buddhist times, that was also true. But it, if it's hard to start with yourself, you start with someone easy to love. 
you know, a pet, a niece, a nephew, a baby, someone whose relationship you have with them is as uncomplicated. And you start, for example, with metta, you know, may, may you be happy. And you, you really let that person's uh, face, presence come to heart and mind. And you genuinely take a moment and to, to internally verbalize that to that person, like, may you be happy, may you be safe, may you be healthy and well, you know, may you be protected, may you be at ease and feel peace. And then, you know, it, it's like a stage-by-stage stage progression. It goes from maybe someone else that's easy to love, then back to yourself, then to someone kind of neutral in your life. Like I often think of the mailman who used to deliver mail in, in London where I lived. I saw him regularly enough that I could imagine his face, but he's neutral. He's neither someone I really like or don't like. <clears throat> and then you go to someone you don't like, <laughs> uh, which is harder uh, when we're working with this. And I have a sitting group and the person, one of the guys in my sitting group uh, sends Meta to Donald Trump every single time. And for him, that's very difficult. It's very triggering, um, you know, especially if we're, you know, whatever, we, we feel things when someone we don't like comes up or if someone in your family is really triggering to you, it's difficult, but that's why you work up to that. And then it expands more globally, kind of to your family, to your community, to your city, to... Uh, kind of rippling outwards to um, all all beings, including you know maybe for me I always include the trees. <laughs> um, but uh, what this can cultivate on a regular basis, if we're doing this regularly, um, is that naturally and very, very spontaneously we'll start to respond to life with greater care and spaciousness and ease and. Um, generosity, um, but initially, often when when we try to hold other people who trigger us in our hearts, it can there can be some spite and jealousy and envy, or you know we can feel very frazzled and agitated, or our, our temper you know gets the best of us, and and so that's why it's it's um, steady, consistent practice that changes us over time you know so you do five minutes of it a day and you choose one of the brahma vihara um and you, and you and you can practice it through the day if you think about it especially mudita that's a good one to kind of practice through the day um, but then you can follow more structured uh formats of you know, you know moving through the, the gradations and and the spheres of people in your life and extending them these qualities and wishing them wishing them well. You know, if you think about someone who's suffering, wish them well. Uh, and um, you know, yeah. I was just going to say we have a question that that actually leads on from from what what you're saying. So the question is, it's from, from Jada, and it's one of the concepts that struck me as a distinction between compassion and pity. You said with compassion comes spaciousness, and it seems some form of ease rather than, than being burdened. Would you be able to say more about this? Mm -hmm. I struggle with noticing my privilege and not feeling a need to somehow 
be self-sacrificial or working harder to support others as I'm in a better place, for example? What comes to mind is something that my meditation teacher said, better to count your blessings than your curses. <laughs> yeah, in terms of that, to it's good to be self-critical, but it doesn't help anyone in the world to uh, pile on shame, blame, and guilt to, to oneself. Um, you know, whatever conditions and circumstances have brought us into the place where we're at now are the conditions and circumstances. And then how we're responding at the present moment to whatever's unfolding is our choice. And we can respond with compassion. We can respond with compassion towards ourselves if there is that judgment and shame uh, or, or a sense of privilege. Uh, and, and not to... Uh, to um, create more drama around it, which would then maybe uh, kind of become a catalyst for uh, uh, just um, inadequacy, you know, or it feels a sense of, oh, but, you know, there's so many problems in the world and other people have so many more problems than I do. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't like this about myself and that just gets fueled, but that doesn't help the world. Um, so <clears throat> to create a sense of, um, you know, there is this kind of springboard, I feel, that when we practice with these, um, these qualities, uh, they remove tension and they're actually great, like a kind of um, medicine for social conflict. Uh, and they, they start to heal a lot of wounds that we have because uh, we're feeling that whatever difficulties other people are going through, we're, we're standing in solidarity with them. We're not saying, you know, uh, we have more kind of um, more of a, of a, of a, a hand up or we're, we're, we're debasing ourselves in order to feel aligned with them. Like that doesn't help any, anyone, I don't think. But what we can offer is just genuine and sincere well wishes and, and genuine and sincere uh, feeling of, I, I feel what you're going through. You know, I feel the difficulty and this is a human quality and we, we suffer everybody is suffering and actually there's a lot of the same um, kind of friction behind the suffering. And if we, if we pair it back, it's, it comes back to a lot of the same sources and feelings of, you know, do I feel loved? Um, you know, do I feel cared for? Um, sending oneself metta and, Sending others meta can often reduce some of that friction. There's actually a really good um, quote that I, I pulled up from uh, <clears throat> a guy who is a Theravada Buddhist practitioner. He does a lot of translations uh, from the Buddhist Publication Society in Sri Lanka. Uh, I think he's originally German, but um, he wrote that uh, the Brahma Vihara. Um, they level social barriers, build harmonious communities, awaken slumbering magnanimity, long forgotten, revive joy, 
uh, and hope long abandoned promote human brotherhood against the forces of egoism. <laughs> Um, and, you know, he, he was kind of pointing at the fact that a mind that is orientating and inclined towards these states of compassion and sympathetic joy, the, uh, of equanimity and of love, um, is a mind that begins to exclude hate, comparison, shame, things that divide us. And I think that feels so resonant and relevant for for right now, doesn't it? We've had a, a challenging year all, all round, and it, yeah. it might it might feel I was I was just thinking when you were talking about that sense of of, of joy that it, it might feel, or, or and even of guilt and shame that it might feel wrong to feel joyful at a time of pain uh, even if you're feeling joyful for someone else or with all the conflict we've seen as well it's about you know how how do we how do we meet the the difficulties of of this year and how uh, but in fact within that quote is I think lies lies an answer yeah, I think it is, um, or I feel that you know, with with the the incredible kind of weight of um, what is an inevitable calamity in our lives, like it or not, our lives have changed. They will be changed, you know, whether that is continuing through the pandemic and afterwards or with the environment or with increasing political polarization or with, you know, the, the uh, intractable kind of racism and, uh, and social divisions and, and social inequalities and gender inequalities. Um, I think it's to meet them in a way that doesn't close ourselves off to feeling them and doesn't close ourselves off to our ability to respond. And, and very importantly, doesn't close ourselves off to seeing beauty and seeing the, the vibrancy and importance of coming together, celebrating, uh, uh, of of creating like a positive, for lack of a better word, vibration. And yeah, you know, I th I think a lot about, for example, um, people who describe themselves as indigenous in America, and you know their spiritual practices have gotten stronger and stronger through calamity you know, and through uh, systematic racism. Um, you know. Uh, in so many kind of ethnic communities, you know, Black America, for example, um, Black, you know, communities in the UK, it's it's the movement of the body, you know, it's dance, you know, that is a celebration of and a reclaiming of the body, right? And 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 there can be rage and there can be anger, but that does not exclude 
the full spectrum of being human. And I think what the Brahma Vihara offer us is the widening perspective and the pulling back of the lens to, to not get, um, you know, so tunneled into the pain and the difficulty, but to keep the love, you know, keep the, 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 uh, the care and keep the joy and, and use that as medicine to meet the anger and the hatred that is also there. And, and that is, um, you know, whether we, we like it or not is, is kind of what we have to face. So I I think it's, 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 it is about awakening the heart and the heart is not just about sunsets and, 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 and pretty loving, you know, Hallmark cards. (laughs) The heart is, you know, you heard me say this a lot. The heart is equipped to hold paradox. You know, the heart, when we open and awaken the heart, it's very different from our mind. Our brain does not like inconclusive uh, uh, situations, does not like lack of lot. It it hates illogical things. Um, It reads the news and it gets all wound up and tense because mm, how do we fix it, right? Or how can this still be happening? Our mind just gets uh, tight because it doesn't like things that are irrational and and, um, and unclear. Whereas the heart is very different. When we awaken the heart, we're actually awakening the heart to hold paradox. It's really profoundly a shift for me to remember because when I when I when I meet the news of my heart, my mind goes right, but my heart can be ah, there's the news, and ah, here's my breath, here's my health, here's the fact that I'm holding a device that sends me the new, I mean, there's so many things that I could be delighted about at the same time that there is pain and suffering. Oh, I'm petting my cat and I'm reading about, uh, you know, uh, potentially, you know, Supreme court nomination getting passed and the rights of reproductive rights of women changing forever for, for a very long time in the United States, but here's my cat. Okay. <laughs> And, and so the heart can hold both, whereas the head goes, forget about the cat. Oh, my God, what's going to happen to the future of the United States? Brahma Viharas are pointing us towards, ah, heart, awakening the heart, awakening that capacity for equanimity to hold all things, the beautiful ah, cat and the difficult ah, news. And and you can hold that paradox. I th- I remember you mm. talking about the heart holding paradox in 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 a class, and I like it, that was another light bulb moment. Um, and then I think I went mm. out somewhere, and someone annoyed me as people do. <laughs> and then in that, in that moment, though, I thought I can be really annoyed with what you're saying, but I can also still like you as a person at the same time and you can you can both you, you can hold, hold both at, at once and it it doesn't have to be like no I want nothing to do with you because what you're saying is ridiculous we can say I don't agree but it, you're still 
you have a you know you have a point that that you believe in which which is which is tough isn't it and you know and it and sometimes we get that a lot from from the news and it's it, it can be hard to to hold both sides of yeah and um you know what the heart of the the buddha's teachings point us to is that there is suffering in the world there there's and there this has been true probably since we had the consciousness to know it there's suffering in the world but then there is a cause to it there's an origin to our suffering and this is so helpful to know because then it gives us agency to respond to the cause okay what's caused this why am i upset why is he upset why is she upset what's happening then there's the path there's a there's a way to it kind of reduce that or even um, do away with the clinging and the things that cause our suffering. And then there's the end of suffering. <laughs> These are classically known as the Four Noble Truths. But what this points to is impermanence and letting go, that we are part of a fluid, changing, dynamic, you know, uh, ever responsive relationship of things, you know, interconnection and inter uh, kind of uh, uh, interwoven experience of what's happening in my experience and what's happening around me. And we get into trouble when we think it's fixed. And then mine goes, but I want it this way, right? Or I don't like it that way. And we start this, cycle of you know rigidity and, and kind of um, pushing ourselves up against something that uh, you know we think is is kind of fixed and permanent but actually you know everything shifts and changes and so you know the Brahma Vihara ultimately are, are they're, they're helping us create this capacity for these qualities that open our hearts and that give us the insight into the very challenging truth you know, that nothing is permanent. Everything is part of a fluid changing expression and experience moment to moment. You know, and how can we align more and more with this as we move through life? And, you know, it's not to be perfect. You know, that's the beauty of it. It's, it's simply at the heart, it's to understand what it is that makes us more human or makes us human and then give us the tools to respond to it. And my choice, you know, is I want to respond in a way that allows me to feel more capable of caring for the world and caring for what I love and who I love and and, and doing it in a way that hopefully doesn't cause harm, you know, and being gentle towards myself when I do unintentionally cause harm because I will. And I'll slip up like anyone and you will slip up. And it's the sense of, of uh, you know, 
being 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 gracious and generous and then cultivating that steadfastness where we can so that you know we can respond to a world that's in a lot of pain you know my heart breaks <laughs> many times a day yeah but i also feel incredible joy many times a day yeah um, and I, I think i wouldn't want it any other way <laughs> and could you talk a, so we talked a little bit about what these mean and we've talked a little bit about having a a formal approach to i guess cultivating um some of these qualities but how how do people incorporate them into into their into their lives it, is is it by and they're most commonly taught as a meditation practice rather than within a movement practice but you you spoke about communities using a body bodily celebration as mm. as yeah. a way of evoking and, and and exploring these so um this is the most muddled question ever <laughs> but yeah. I'm asking two, two in one but it, it was really it's a, could, could you talk a little bit about incorporating these within a movement practice but also in maybe stepping into our day-to-day -day lives rather than sitting on a cushion let's say when we can cultivate the feelings but you know then boom we're in the Tesco queue and no one's wearing masks and you feel <laughs> enraged and then you get splashed and or um, you or you feel enraged that people are wearing masks yeah. or you feel, or exactly you feel enraged that people are wearing masks so how how do we deal with all of that? And then you feel just sad because the world has changed, and you wanted it to be like it was eight months ago, and um, and and then you think, there's how can I be joyful when people are, are are dying or have lost their jobs? So how do we how do we practically do do all this? You know, it's a bit like yeah, the head understands that it can be done, but how? What are the steps we can take? It's not very linear, though, Reki. Yeah. <laughs> you you just do the practice, and uh, you you the 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 for me the practices are uh, inextricable from the body, and 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 that's why movement for me is is the the foundation for understanding, um, you know anything in, in my consciousness is first put through the field of everything that's here. It's not just happening here. It's through my cells and my, my enzymes and my, uh, you know, sensations and different things that I hear or smell or taste and uh, feel. And, you know, when, when we're moving, it's, it's one of the, the richest opportunities to, to respond to what's arising, you know? And 
I'm a proponent of slow movement for that reason, because, you know, if you're driving through a pedestrian area in a big city, the speed limit is slow because there's a lot of things coming at you that could be, you know, injured or you could, could get into um, to, you know, accidents. Uh, and so, you know, when we're moving, there's so much that is kind of um, arising in our sensory experience that we want to move slowly enough so that we're, we're able to respond to the, the various things arising. And, you know, you could very easily in mudita practices uh, work with, oh, you know, oh, I can't do this. If you're in a class or you think of someone else who can, mudita, they can do it really well. You know, it's not about me. It's it's just, oh, I'm seeing, you know, someone else enjoy that. Or, um, you know, but, but more deeply, it's just, you know, in our bodies, there, there are built-in moments of rest and pause that give us the capacity to respond. And when we feel challenged or um, thinking uh, or, you know, bored, you know, this happens a lot on online classes that aren't live, you know, you can switch it off or you can fast forward. Oh, I don't like this part. Kind of boredom or uh, disinterest can, can get the best of you and you don't stick with it. Right? And then if you're, practicing with the Brahma Viharas, it's like, oh, uh, there's there's a little bit of, basically, that's a little bit of suffering, you know, and compassion, compassion towards your suffering. Oh, there's impatience. Hmm. You know, may, I, may my impatience be, uh, be held gently and quieted. Yeah. May my heart feel open to, to allow for that impatience or to allow for the discomfort. And, and then how, how, how do I best respond? Well, I might respond with, okay, you know, steady and, and stand in appreciation and solidarity of that and maybe not push as far, maybe do something different. Um, but there's a, there's a lot that we can integrate from our practice and metaphors galore <laughs> translate into everyday life because what we do in meditation, what we do in movement is kind of a, a small laboratory and an example of how we generally tend to be in our normal lives. If we tend to get a little bit impatient or we tend to, um, uh, struggle and self-sabotage when we can't do something like chances are that's that same pattern will be playing out in our better other interactions and you know nor normal whatever life um so it's a chance to kind of um kind of sense feel articulate uh render what that experience is and it's practice it's 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 time to to kind of sit with it and sense it and then over time as we practice we just develop uh more resilience but also hopefully stronger hearts and healthier bodies and when our body is felt feeling better our 
our whole kind of being can be just a little more equipped to to meet what's in front of us and you know maybe in our practice if we're slowing down we can also slow down a little bit in our conversations and our interactions with with people or the news or social media you know before we type in that kind of slightly snarly comment in response to something we can Mudita, Karuna, Upeka, you know, whatever you want, Meta. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think uh, Pat's um, commented on, on slow uh, movement, saying, I found slow movement provides pauses to notice it's made a profound difference to practice and the transferability into day to day life seems easier. And I, I just sort of say, yeah, I completely echo that. And I've noticed recently that I, I've been rushing through um, through every single practice I do. I, I don't know. It's a bit like, you know, I don't know. There's a bear going to come onto my yoga mat, eat me alive. So I have to do the yoga first. I've been doing Qigong and it's been like, normally it's dreamy, but then it's like, so, but I, when I noticed that and I thought, oh, maybe I should just slow down, you know, take a few breaths. And, and it's, in fact, it's like transfer, transform my whole day because there was obviously, and I'm thinking here, it's probably because I want to, you know, get over this whole tricky period of time. The world's going through some, maybe if I speed up all my vinyasas, um, and rush through all my practices and we could get through it but I've now realized that that's not the way but actually slowing down makes such a difference and I noticed someone um commenting on on how challenging it was in in, in one of your classes to to do it slowly and and in fact the the, the movements aren't particularly challenging within the series of classes but it it, it is the speed that we can find really difficult, particularly in our kind of very crazy speeded up world now where we get everything instantly and you know we we can't we don't don't want to wait for the book to arrive so we have it on a device and mm. slowing down is is tough, isn't it? And yet I think what you've said about compassion and 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 joy and being faster than our conditioning and the only way you can do that is by slowing down really yeah and to, you can't to remember that um movement practice is it, it's a it's the opposite of instant gratification usually if you if it if really wants if you really want to land it in something that will last it's it's like all holistic medicines chinese medicine included in that it's a gradual healing process. Yeah. And if you've come to movement from, you know, kind of a faster life, adrenalized, caffeined, uh, you know, I like to think of how people these days like to express mail themselves over the finish line to happiness and health. Yeah. But, but that's just not nature speed. And nature speed is medium to slow. I don't know. I can't remember who said that. It was like Thoreau or Emerson and one of these like good-natured people. <laughs> 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 
who like nature. What are the what are these guys who spend a lot of time out there? Um, but we we want instant or quick um, results, and you know, if affecting our our body, our health, our mental or physical health. Um, if we think of ourselves as part of nature, nature grows things gradually. Yeah. Giant pine grows from a tiny sprout and out of Janet. The journey of a thousand miles starts from beneath your feet. Uh, and I think of that a lot because uh, it's a good model. It's a good teacher. You know, nature is our best teacher. And, um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes in, in, evolution there's something called punctuated equilibrium where there's suddenly like a spike in diversification and creativity but you're talking over six billion years <laughs> occasionally like something like that happens it's, you know we uh we can get riddled by the kind of clinging and wanting and needing kind of right now and what's important to us right now and worrying about well, what's going to happen in the election or what's going to happen, uh, you know, tomorrow or next, we can't make any plans. And it's like, you know what, don't worry about it. Cause you know, we're around for however long we're here, but things will keep going. You know, we're very, it's a small speck and we, it's humbling, but it's the truth. It's like 6 billion years. <laughs> You know, in another hundred years, another thousand years, you know, will it really matter? Yeah. Um, and, it, and, and it matters infinitely right now because who knows how time works. So you do your best, you know, right? And, yeah. and, and you practice, and you practice. As, as you said, because it's called a practice. It's not just called a one minute race. It's a, it's a practice. So yeah. keep doing it. So we've been talking for... I know. <laughs> it's time. time so to <laughs> and I, I could talk to you all day. All day but... Oh, thanks, Jackie. But nice. Thank you so much, Mimi. It, it's, it's been really um, amazing to unpick, unpick some of these practices that are both simple and profound for all at the same time um but i think yeah i think it's um they they are there aren't they within us to 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 explore and and, and befriend mm. um so it's been it's been brilliant thank you so mm. much you're welcome thank you Raki and cat nice to see you come on for a bit and others it's uh just to say the, the richness is just so palpable for me of what these practices offer. Um, and especially in a time that we're in now, I think, you know, we need to, or we don't have to do anything, but it, it would, it would be, um, a real contribution to the world, I think, for for us to to pick these practices up and hold our experiences gently and with, uh, with intimacy and with 
greater awareness and skills. Um, because if we don't do it, you know, people who are leading a lot of the governments in the world aren't doing it. A lot of people in decision-making positions aren't doing it. You know, this is a group of people who are keen to, to, to and, and open to uh, shifts, positive shifts, and um, you know, do what you can. It's a, it's a critical junction. <laughs> And time was infinite. <laughs> yeah. Stay, stay, stay vast. Stay fast. And yep. stay detailed. You know, this is this is also the the beauty of, of what we're you know here to explore. Thanks, Raki. And for your comments. Great to see so many of you engaged. And we'll, we'll see see you all soon. Much love to everyone. Take care and be safe. Hi, I really hope that you enjoyed that conversation between Raki and Mimi Kuodima. I must say, Mimi's wisdom is always... It just blows me away. Her wisdom and humour is just wonderful. So if you enjoyed that, you might enjoy checking out movementformodernlife.com and especially our Ancient Wisdom for Modern Life course, where you will be able to get some beautiful practices from wonderful Mimi, which are right on there, as well as from Adam Hoke on that course. And as well as that, within your free 14-day trial, of course, you will be able to have access to all, I think there are 1,400 classes on there at the moment. And they're all with top-notch teachers, um, people who are the wisest, funniest, the teachers who really share their practice, who live the practice and have something beautiful to share. So do check out Movement for Modern Life. And also, of course, it would be great for you to support this small family-run venture. So thank you very much in advance for checking it out. Do subscribe to this podcast wherever you normally find them in order to never miss a session. Do check out Movement for Modern Life and sign up to our newsletters so that you you can find out all the cool stuff that we're going to be up to because you know what? The end of this year and beginning of next is going to be, there are some pretty cool things going on. There are some changes in the pipeline and there's some fun stuff which I would love to share with you guys. So with no further ado, I really hope that you have enjoyed and I wish you all, all of the very best. Blessings of health, stay safe um, and stay away from each other right now. All right, take care.